Well, folks, welcome to One More Edition Politics and Random. Berto is your host. Thank you so kindly for being part of the show. We are going to have a great show for you today. We are going to have a great show for you today. Welcome aboard. Paul Flemin is in the house from Atlanta, Georgia. We also have Bridge MCP in the house from where? Nueva York. We also have the one and only incomparable, beautiful Yvette Avery Herod from Atlanta, Georgia. We also have Michael Rodnan from New York. So we have Georgia, New York, and let's keep bringing our folks in there. We've got Eric Hayes from Kingwood, Texas. Uh, keep coming in, folks. Keep coming in. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. We have more people coming in and check yourself in. Anyway, we're going to have a great program for you. On the screen right now is what again? What La Senorita, La Senorita, British MCP, gave us to put on the screen today. Thank you, Jesus, for this, this meal. We have the great Republican family sitting down there talking over dinner for the nice, tasty, inexpensive food that they are about to consume. Of which case, our migrant workers come out and says, No hay de qué, de nada. It's time for you to use how we speak in, in, in the countries for real. De nada is sort of... Per se, no hay de qué is a little bit more, mm. no hay de qué. There's no reason to. De nada, for nothing. Actually, I prefer no hay de qué because it's more, you know, de nada almost sounds like we are not doing something important, but we are doing something very important. Anyway, how are my peeps doing? How are my peeps doing? We are going to have a great show for you today. After watching quite a bit of uh, news after Think, doing a lot of thinking, I am severely upset about the way negotiations are going with the... What is this? Is this something or is this a reflection? That must be a reflection. Or is it? Oh, no, that's... Oh, sorry, guys. I was doing some stuff outside and I didn't even see that little mark on my collar. Oh, my God, my reputation is going to be ruined. My reputation will be ruined. Anyhow, let's go ahead and, and, and talk about this. This debt ceiling debate that's occurring right now, it's a farce. It's a farce. I first want you to listen to this particular video. This just occurred, and one of the reasons I kind of rushed in here is because I wanted to get this for you guys right now. So I'm going to play this for you and then, but, but let me first say, Bob Good, who's a part of the Freedom Caucus, this guy displays and shows the evil within, the part, within a sect of the Republican Party, politicians within the Republican Party. Because what he's showing is he doesn't care. He doesn't care about lying. He doesn't care. I tell you what, I want you to listen to this first and then we will take it on the other side. We will take it on your side. So check this out. And we'll take it on the other side. 
Congressman and member of the House Freedom Caucus, Bob Good. You got a poker face on, sir. You tell me, are you going to vote for a bipartisan deal? Well, the House has done its job. We spent 90 days, as you know, negotiating a debt ceiling increase. The president and the Senate were MIA on the sidelines, nowhere to be found. So most Republicans have never voted for a debt ceiling increase. No Republicans wanted to increase the debt limit. What we'd like to do is to cut spending so much that we would never have to increase the debt ceiling again with a you know a record amount of debt to GDP we haven't had since World War II, $32 trillion in national debt. However, Republicans were responsible and reasonable. And as you know, we have come together with a with a, a deal to raise the debt limit by a modest, by D.C. standards, $1.5 trillion in exchange for real cuts and real reforms that put us on a path to fiscal stability as a country. It's critically important. Every component of the Limit Save Grow bill, we expect Speaker McCarthy and Republicans to be united, remain united. And this is the bill that the Senate needs to pass. As you know, 45 senators have signed on being in support of our bill. That means the Senate can't pass anything else without those 45 senators. So the, my hope would be that the Senate, Chuck Schumer and the president uh, will not allow the nation to suffer any consequence from not raising the debt limit by passing the Limit Save Grow bill. A lot of Republicans have uh, voted to raise the debt ceiling in the past. Maybe not Freedom Caucus members, but a lot of Republicans have, including under Republican presidents. Uh, your colleague, Matt Gates said that the uh, deadline, this June 1st deadline, that a default isn't real, that it's made up. How do you feel about that? What he's speaking to is there no there is no X day, June 1 or whatever. Now we're hearing, of course, that it might be as late as July 1. But there's no X date where there's going to be some dramatic catastrophe because the debt ceiling wasn't raised. If President Biden and Chuck Schumer don't agree to raise the debt limit for the Republican bill that's been passed, which, again, is a responsible bill with reasonable cuts and reforms, then you would begin to have the inability for us to fund all of the government spending that's been voted on uh, by the Democrat majority and by this White House, passed by this White House over the last couple of years, you would have uh, eventually a forced $100 billion in reduction in spending because we're we're bringing in a record $400 billion on a monthly basis. Uh, we are spending about $500 billion. We could not continue to do that, but there's more than enough revenue to pay the interest on the debt, which is only about $70 billion a month. There's more than enough to fund Social Security, Medicare, veterans benefits, and the national defense. Democrats are not going to allow to have a forced reduction in spending or funding this government. So if we hold the line, they will pass limit save growth. And that's what we need to do. Um, so you're saying just just hold the line. I, I hear you there. Let me ask you about uh, tax taxes and raising taxes. I, I know you weren't in Congress for the the Trump tax cuts and, and that bill, but according to the CBO, that added 1.8 trillion dollars over 11 years. That is a big addition to the national uh, debt. Why would you not put taxes back on the table for the very very rich among us? And corporations, why would that not be a part of these discussions if you're talking well, about fact, trying to lower the deficit? The fact of the matter is we don't have a revenue problem and because the Trump tax well, cuts job act, which I was not here, which I was not here before, as, much as, as you said, out. I didn't vote for that, but I would have voted for it. And that's why we have a record $400 billion in revenue coming in. Do you know if we just went back to pre-vote COVID spending across the board, which was about $4.5 trillion for all mandatory and discretionary spending pre-COVID 2019, the $5 trillion a year we're realizing in revenue right now would mean a 
half a trillion dollar surplus at pre-COVID spending with current revenue levels because of the Trump tax cuts. We don't have a spending, excuse me, revenue problem. We've got a massive spending problem. And by the way, 80% of Americans in the polls overwhelmingly say they either don't want the debt ceiling raised, that's about 20%, or 60% say, so combined 80% together, 60% say they only want it raised with cuts and reforms in place to put us on a path to fiscal responsibility. Let me ask you the Biden-Schumer position is only supported for, by 20% on, ask, of Americans. Let me ask a question in here. I know you said that you would have voted for the Trump tax cuts. Would you vote to extend the Trump tax cuts? Oh, the absolutely. CBO, because, the CBO again, says that, would that is incentivizing... Trillion. That's incentivizing the right things. The CBO says, uh, that, excuse that is me, key to our, that, would that is three point five you know, trillion we, to the deficit. We cannot let me, sustain let the one to two percent anemic Biden growth. We got to get back to three to four percent. The Trump growth patterns that was fueling our economy previously. So it's growth as well as cuts that'll get us on a path to fiscal stability. Let me ask you a question about the deficit, though. If you are going to vote to extend those tax cuts, that's a three point five trillion add to the deficit per the CBO. That is a big addition. If you want to cut spending and you want to get us on a path to a balanced budget, I mean, it seems like that would be in conflict with your goal. That's historically just inaccurate. Every time we cut taxes, we generate no, more growth, we generate more revenue. The Democrats predicted back in 2017 that when we had those tax cuts, we would have a reduction in revenue and therefore increase the deficit. And the Democrats lie and say that the deficit and the national debt has grown because of the tax cuts. That's simply it's not, not true. Democrats, when revenue has a bottom line number, when you grow the pie, you only have to take a smaller percentage of it to fund your government. <laughs> We've grown the pie, and that's why they've got record revenue coming in. We've never been $5 trillion a year in revenue until the last couple of years, and that is in large part because of the Trump economic policies, including the tax cuts. It's not the Democrats. It's the CBO that says this. I'm not naming any Democrats. I'm giving you the CBO, the Congressional Budget Office. We spend a lot of time deconstructing the news, trying to, trying to parse it. Now, what he just said was entirely shameful. And what I, uh, what I want to do, because I, I think I, I have the piece here to show, you know, Republicans are probably the best liars by, bar none. But the reason why it works is because very few times do we have uh, the mainstream media that refutes what they're saying, right? It turns out that Luckily, last night, and I'm, I, I don't have the entire, uh, I don't have it all mapped out yet, but I just want to give a graph for everybody to see at first. And then I'm going to expand on this for tomorrow's show. But I just want to give you a graph, and I'm going to put that graph on the screen right now. Then I'll display the other thing that, that she wants, that, that British MCP wants to put out there. But I want you to look at that curve. If you take a look, there are two kinds of spending. There's non-defense spending and defense spending. The non-defense spending, and you know, some like to call it the non-discretionary. Well, non-discretionary spending are all the spending that we have to do that isn't mandated. Social security is is spending we have to make, etc. Et but if you take a look at what has happened over since 1980, since Reagan, you notice on this curve. That every time Republicans are in office, the presidency and, and, you know, one of the houses are both. Look at what happened to defense. Look at what happens to discretionary spending. Then when we get a Democrat in there, look how those lines, flat line. I hope you can see my arrows, but 
if you take a look at from 1990, we're, we're, we're uh, president, the 90s where Clinton was in power, watch how those lines flatten. In other words, we get, uh, we, we are forced to constrain spending because again, we have issues with the Republicans passing budgets, etc. You go back to when Bush is in control, you see that how the spending jumps right back up again. And then we go to 2009 when Obama is back in control and you see how spending both defense and, and non-defense gets plateaued. Then you get into uh, uh, Trump and you see what happens. Defense catapults up as well as non-defense catapults up. Why? They spend money. When Democrats are in office, that is when they talk about curtailing spending money. This was provided by Axios. And it shows who are the people that, not, that really blows up the budget. It's not Democrats that blow up the budget. It's Republicans who blow up the budget. Because if you listen to what that other guy mentioned as well, he talked about uh, uh, the, the kind of spending. He said tax cuts. Again, she says, the CBO says that the tax cuts that you guys have given to the wealthy will blow up the budget by $3.5 trillion. He says, oh, no, no, the Democrats are lying. That's not true. It will blow up the budget because that's money not there. And what they like to use as an excuse is that, but that cutting taxes magically, here's what they say, cutting taxes magically brings in more revenue and they show you that more revenue is brought in as if the taxes had anything to do with that increased revenue. That increased revenue comes from an eternally growing pie, not influenced by these tax cuts. In fact, Keynesian economics will tell you, and I don't want to jump into this too deep, but Keynesian economics will tell you, if you put money in the hands of those who would spend it quicker, they will incentivize corporations to build more factories and do things. Let's go ahead and, 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 and get it in, in English terms. If I go ahead, supply side economics says this, you go ahead and give the rich people the money, they will decide what kind of supply to provide. They would decide if they're going to build factories for cars. They will decide if they're going to build factories for solar power plants. However, now, if instead you give that money to the people who would spend it immediately, democracy would dictate what factories businesses would build. Why? Because if I have a lot of money, if, I am a, if I'm a poor person and I get money, that money is that democratizer that will tell me, if I go ahead and I buy more chicken, we, then corporations need to raise more chickens. If I decide I want to buy more cars, Corporations see that the demand for cars go up and that democracy in, in our economy will create more cars. If somebody else wants to buy more widgets of some type, if we decide we want to buy more hula hoops, then democracy would say corporations will build more hula hoops because that's what we are willing to take our money and spend. But instead, what the Republicans who claim they believe in freedom want to do is say, Give the money to the wealthy and let the wealthy decide what supply they will provide to you. Peons, 
You poor people, you middle class people, we will tell you what you want to buy because we believe in the supply side economics. We don't believe in the demand side, the democracy side of economics. So don't let the crap that Republicans tell you when they talk about when you go ahead, there's this, there's this curve called the Laffer curve. And the Laffer curve is a laughter. How did the Laffer curve come about? This economist, I don't remember from what university, sat down at a table when he was having dinner and drew a curve on a piece of paper. And he said, this is where you have taxes going up. This is where you have its taxes versus uh, the amount of money that, uh, that, that's generated, extra money generated in the economy. And there's a, there's a sweet spot, according to this guy, that if you just put the taxes at that area, it'll start raising more money. It has never occurred. Reagan tried it. It failed. The only reason Reagan had a, an economy that did marginally well was because he used Keynesian economics. He blew up the budget by building a lot of, uh, uh, throwing a lot of money to the military. He did not cut uh, social services because Republicans know if you cut social services, you lose. So they cut taxes for the wealthy, keep the spending that Democrats know social people the, the, that for the social services. And then what do they do? They then uh, increase the military. They blow the budget up, which is an economic. Blowing the budget up does create a lot of economic activity. All right. And the thing about it is we, we have so dummified the American citizenry that we have a certain percentage that cannot understand simple macroeconomics that tells you. Two things, the democratization of economics mean you pr provide the, the monies to the demand side. And if you do that, the supply side will create that supply based on what people want. If you put the money at the wealthy side, first of all, they don't take risks. Remember, all the risk is taken by we, the people. Think about it. When a drug comes to market, it's not, the, it's not the wealthy corporations that says, I am going to invest in this drug that's going to make a lot of money. That is not what occurs. They go to a university. The universities come out with the primers of drugs, the, the RNAs, and, and all these other parts. And after corporations sees that, oh, this might actually work, oh, Let's go ahead and buy up that professor. Let's go ahead and buy the patents and build a building at the university. And after we create a product, we get the mRNA vaccines and all these things that then they milk us and terrorize us and cost us everything. You take a look at insulin, which was developed by the government, and somehow we have people paying $1,000 a month for it. It makes no sense. But as long as we have gullible Americans, as long as we have Americans who are willing who are willing to be gullible because of ideology, then we get into these positions. Let's get smart, folks. Let's get smart. Let's believe in liberty. Let's believe in all those things. Now, let's go ahead and put, uh, put uh, Bridge MCP's new piece on where it says, para ver, para ver, para ver. Freedom, shouts the Republican lawmakers as he bans abortions, school books, lesson plans about racism, trans health care for kids, and voting rights. It is so apropos. Thank you, Bridge MCP. That is so apropos. Just think about it. Remember what I've said. If you listen to a Republican politician, everything that he accuses others of 
It's a reflection of himself. It's a projection. It's a projection. It is a projection. And in that light, let's go ahead and listen to uh, uh, Eddie Gloud. And uh, I can't remember her name now, but it'll come to me as you watch this very other important piece. As you know, the Republican Party has always prided itself in looking out for the freedom of people, the freedom to exercise their rights, etc. And we all know it has always been a bunch of bunk, but I have yet to see it express the way that a former Republican, now host on MSNBC, Nicole Wallace, listen to how she talks about who they really are now and how Dr. Eddie Gloud expands on it, and then we'll take it on the other side. Eddie, to, to, to build on some of that, the Republican parties move away from anything resembling autonomy and freedom is the most underreported and potentially politically dramatic story of the last five years, right? To become a party that says out loud, they want to be right there in the OBGYN office with you. That was Republican senatorial candidate Dr. Oz. DeSantis, they want to be right there in the pediatrician's office with you as you grapple with whatever medical decisions your trans son or daughter is making. They want to be inside the gynecologist's office, inside the pediatrician's office. They don't want to be inside the school while children are under their desks because they're in their third active shooter drill of the semester. They are done. They are done approximating anything resembling freedom. Absolutely. It's almost as if the libertarian wing of the Republican Party has morphed, transformed into only one real serious liberty, and that is the liberty to hate, the liberty to grieve, uh, uh, you know, to express grievance, uh, to express fear and the like. So those elements of the traditional Republican Party that I grew up with, you know, the corporatist wing, the libertarian wing, the values wing, and of course, the nativist white supremacist wing, all of that has kind of collapsed into one kind of Frankenstein-like monster. But I think it's really important for us to understand what Basil said. Against the backdrop of the four freedom speech, this is Jan 6, January. January 6th, ironically, 1941. He has to give voice to that because in 1939, the largest rally of Nazis occurred in Madison Square Garden, right in the United States. He has to give that speech against the threat that Hitler and Nazism represented, against the threat, the attack against labor, the attack against women. In other words, the freedoms that the Republican parties articulating today, the freedom to control, the freedom to, to, to censor, the freedom to exploit, the freedom to menace, those, that, that aspect of America has always been its underbelly. It's just the current Republican Party has turned it over so we can see all the barnacles. And the question is, will we articulate our values in the face of it just as FDR did? But we have to ask the question, what are those values? I love exactly what he said. What are the values now? What are the values of the Republican Party that they speak about? What are the values of those who continue to follow a party that is inflicting this much harm on so many of its people? And I mean, we, this is off the subject, but if we go into the de debate. If they fold all the, all the cuts that they want to make right now, it's also 
going to remove the freedom of their own people as they are the ones that will be suffering the most, the people who vote for Republicans. Imagine that. Your own constituency, you decide, we'll get you. We'll take away your freedom. But we just won't tell you. Anyhow, uh, look, uh, that, that just pro- shows a projection of Republicans. As Bridge MCP brought that meme, and in fact, I should put that meme back on the screen again. Very important meme. Because when she says, Freedom shouts the Republican lawmakers as he bans abortion, school books, lesson plans about racism, trans health care for kids, and voting rights. Yet we believe in freedom. We believe in freedom just as long as it doesn't apply to you. Let's remember that's his mantra. Now let's get back to something that Don, that, that, that uh, Bob Good spoke about. Bob Good wants, wants to get... Uh, Biden to start cutting stuff, cutting stuff. And Biden says, I tell you what, why don't you tell me of this discretionary spending that all your people partake of? What do you want me to cut? Please tell me, what do you want me to cut? All of you guys always talk, keep the budget where it's at. Remember, every year, every day, more people are added to the social security rolls because the baby boomers are still coming to pass. Please tell me those are, that's the reason budgets are increasing. Also, we have to take care of things that we've let gone for a long time. For example, the infrastructure, there are many things that cause our discretionary budget to go up because of what we have not done. So please tell us, Mr. Bob Good, please tell us, Mr. Freedom Caucus, what do you want us to cut? If you notice, they give a number, but they do not tell you what they want to cut. They want it to be said that it is the Democrats that are making these cuts to satisfy the requirements that Republicans have. It's a no-go. It should not happen at all. Let them define what they want to cut. Let them do it. And if they do it, because in their budget, they just say, this is how much discretionary spending is going to be. They don't tell you how much or what to cut. And uh, so, so let's get that. Now, I want to address something that, that Eric Hayes says, because it's important. Eric Hayes' brother lives here in the same place I live in, Kingwood, Texas, supposedly a, a middle-class neighborhood, some places upper middle-class neighborhood. Here's the funny thing. It's, he says, ideas to reduce and eliminate all entitlements except for those paid by working citizens and those provided for sick or handicapped or disabled persons. Preserve Medicare and Social Security. Stop all welfare to those who can work and make a living wage. Force deadbeat dads to care for their children. Demand student loan repayment and honor those who have repaid already. That statement shows that you know nothing about what's out there, my friend. You know nothing. If we followed your rules right there, first of all, that covers very a small amount of folks. Nowhere close to what's causing our budget deficits. None of that would substantially impact our budget deficit. That are those what you just called out there are peanuts. It makes you feel good by downing somebody or trying to put on to somebody that 
Those are lazy people or they don't work. Most people are, in fact, working. Most people are, in fact, not on the dole because they want to be on the dole. They're on the dole because and, uh, uh, there's no employment that makes it worth their while to work. Why go to an ice cream shop and make $7.25 when it costs you to get there and the taxes you pay and everything else, $6.90, which gives you a net $0.25 cents and take you nowhere and you can't pay your bills? We have to have living wages. Making those statements are asinine. Let's go a little bit further. If you take a look at, let's look at Kingwood, your neighborhood. Take a look at every home and these homes, what the government is paying out of pocket in different ways. In other words, there are certain group of people that get government assistance in ways that doesn't seem like government assistance. And there are others who are made to be let everybody know they are on government assistance. Don't let me go into enumerating all the forms of government assistance that these rich people are actually on. Let's learn before we just go ahead and say and make silly statements like that. You don't understand economics. You do not understand social behaviors. You don't understand it by making statements like that. I hope those that are listening to us here can actually learn the reality is that, the, that Republican politicians are depriving you from acknowledging and knowing because they are making you what again? Dumb. That is their business because if they can keep you dumb, guess what they can do for you? They own you. Let's read what Bridge have to say here. Egberto Long, but this is what my sister is posting as copy and paste. This is how they feel. So ashamed. Worked hard for 40 years. I need to rant for just a moment. I'm getting old and I've worked hard all my life. I've had made my rep- I have made my reputation the good and the bad. I didn't inherit my job or my income and I have worked hard to go where I am in life. I have juggled my job, my family and made my sacrifice up front to secure a, a life for my family. It wasn't always easy and still isn't. But I did it all while maintaining my integrity and principles. I made secure a life for my family. Or rather, I made mistakes and tried to learn from them. I have friends of every walk of life. And if it were my choice, it should be understood that I don't have to remind you of what I'd be willing to do for you. However, I'm tired of being told that I have been that I have to spread the wealth to people who don't have my work ethic. People who have sacrificed nothing and feel entitled to receive everything. I'm tired of being told that the government will take the money I earn by force if necessary and give it to people too lazy to learn it themselves, uh, to earn it themselves. I'm really tired of being told I must lower my living standard to fight global warming, which no one is allowed to debate. I'm really tired of hearing wealthy athletes, entertainers, and politicians of all parties talk like their opinions matter to the common man. I'm tired of any of them even pretending they can, reta- they can relate to the life of proud, uh, and bank account that I have. I'm tired of people with a sense of entitlement, rich or poor. I'm upset that I am labeled a racist because I'm correct, because I'm proud of my heritage. I never, sigh- I never stole anyone's land. The government did that. I am tired of being told I need to accept the latest fad or political don't uh, correct stupidity of or befriending a group that's intent on killing me because I won't convert to their point of view. I'm really tired of people who don't take responsibility for their lives actions, especially the ones I uh, want to fund it. I'm tired of hearing them blame 
the government or I'm tired of them blaming the government or discrimination or big whatever for their problems. Yes, I'm really tired, but I'm also glad to be in the twilight of my life because mostly I am not going to have to see the wretched, depressing world these useless idiots are creating. And lastly, because even though I shouted from the rooftops, no one listened or seemed to give a damn. You reap what you sow and so do your children. No one is entitled to anything. You have a choice to work, a choice to stay off drugs, a choice to make something of yourself. I have nothing to do with your choice. That's all on you. You're entitled to what you earn. There is no way those thoughts will be widely publicized unless each of us sends it on. Surely the politically correct police censor will try to quiet us. Interesting. It's interesting what you can do when you mix, re, mix true things with stupidity. First of all, most of what she said there, I could agree with. Most of, I have a work ethic. I work 16 hours a day. A lot of you that are on here that I know work very hard. Most people want to work. If you doubt it, go to the ghettos, the barrios or Appalachia. People want to work, but you have to have a system that give them a, 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 a living wage. When you speak like that, whoever wrote this, that conflated many different issues that need not be conflated. Let's start taking them different at a time. It was the government who stole the land. Government is we the people. And yes, they stole the land. And many of you who are talking about I raised it or I did this on my own. You benefited from the stolen land because many of your relatives and your forbearance and the people who came before you, they got land owned by somebody else for a long, or, or a land that was owned by nobody but able to be roam free by all. They got that land and they were able to build their fortunes and that. And I'm not talking big fortunes. I'm talking about a lot of those farms in East Texas, a lot of those farms in Middle Texas, a lot of those farms in California, a lot of those farms all over. They came from stolen land and families that got that when those lands were opened up because we wanted to move westward, all of those people got land grants. And you know what? Land grants didn't go to people that looked like me or whatever. So no, no, ma'am. As far as whether you need to feel guilty for stolen land, you don't. But just know that you did profit from that stolen land. You didn't do it, but you did profit from it. And when others are asking to say, we also develop those lands, we develop this economy, we also want to be compensated from what we've done as well. That is not asking for something for free. Next one, next thing, as far as you sacrifice, everybody has sacrificed, even the poor has sacrificed. Everybody who spends a dime in this economy has made this economy. They don't teach you that because they want you to be, they want you to hate the poor. They want you to hate those that are somehow not able to make it in the economy, not because it's solely their fault, but it's because what the system depends on having those, the boot on the neck of some and others fearing that the boot could apply to them as well. People learn. Please understand that the system is on autopilot designed to take care and knock you out and keep statements as dumb as this one that Bridge MCP just put out there because so much of it is true. But so their analysis and the conclusions are ridiculously inept. It is ridiculously inept. And the only way for us to get around this is to show people, and what I said all the time, the Republicans have been great. They taught people to disassociate themselves from government. They don't want you to know that we the people is equivalent to the government. 
They need to disassociate you from the government so then you can look at the government as a bad thing. And when the government uses its powers, we the people's powers, to make sure that corporations, to make sure that the plutocracy, to make sure that the rich can ha cannot have full control of you because they've, they've taught your brain to think that those people, that government, etc., you disassociate yourself from those things. Then they make those things evil. You think it's evil, and then you start to do everything against your own interests. People, 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 people. We have to educate ourselves. We look, there are some people, you know, they, they give a little mixture of race, a little mixture of gender issues. They mix all those things together to, to foment hate. And in that way, control you. And then we all go down. We all go down. Folks, learn, 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 learn. Uh, let's see what else we have here before I, I go to the last video. Uh, Eric Hayes says, Egberto fairly does policy pays for nothing. No, it doesn't. But again, you have shown, a, 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 you, have, you are like a, 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 a drug-resistant bacteria. A drug-resistant bacteria it doesn't matter what you throw at it. It just doesn't get in. It just doesn't get in. I feel for you. I feel for those who reality is staring at you. You're being screwed by the people you trust, but you don't care. All right, let's see what else we got here that, that's, that's worth mentioning. Let's see. Peggy Lopez says, hi, all. I'm tired, too, in the twilight of my life. Happy to be old. Happy to be here with like-minded folks. Folks open to learning about how uh, working the opportunity for all. Mike C. Sex says, Bridge MCP, that's pretty racist to say. Bridge doesn't have a racist bone in her body. Unlike you, though, my dear brother C. Sack, you are always trying to make it seem like all our problems, all the murders, all these things are created by one sect of our population with a particular hue, which, of course, when you do the numbers and you normalize it, it makes you, what again? Somebody that, again, is very mentally deprived of truth. All right. Uh, Michael Rodney says, Egberto, the system is on autopilot, will lead to 1.5 degrees Celsius by 2027. You're absolutely right. Five years until the turning point, after which I say climate change is out of humanity's hands. Not really, not really, not really. The reality is there is a solution, and a lot of people are not going to like my solution uh, that I says in the long run, when we get smart, when we get smart, we may, we may have to use nuclear energy to clean carbon. And let me tell you what I mean by that. We could fix this problem in the long run. And uh, when there's a technology out there that we can grab these gases out of the air, but we don't have enough in the total, we have enough uh, green energy to run our system without creating any more uh, carbon into the air. But as uh, Brother Rudnan has said, in a perfect manner, we really could get into a no-return position. That's how some people like to talk about it. But that's not the case. If we decided that we would put certain, uh, certain converters, and it would have to be nuclear because we need a carbon negative things, but the danger, of course, is nuclear meltdown, et cetera. We'd have to come to a, a great agreement to put nuclear power in, in certain areas that, that sucks all these things out of the air and convert it into something. It, it's going to waste a lot of energy. 
but it's nuclear. So we, it would be like an abundance of quick energy and take that nuclear, clean things up. And after we've cleaned it up for 20 years or so, we then mitigate it by shutting down nuclear permanently. But we could use nuclear as a stopgap measure, getting it across the environmentalists to open their minds into saying everything is a risk. And that may be a risk we need to take. I'm an environmentalist. I don't like nuclear power. I've written for and pro and against nuclear power. Pro nuclear power when I did my one of my papers at the University of Texas, but against nuclear energy in the way it's implemented under the domain of private sector. I believe in nuclear energy if we make sure and do it in the public sector where for profit isn't what's going to determine safety. Very important. Uh, some environmentalists get mad when I talk about this, but there are no more environmentalists than I am. I am talking about solutions. Solutions based on engineering. All right, folks, those of you that are online, please go give us a thumbs up best you can. I ask you so kindly to give us some thumbs up. We need them. We need them. We need them. All right. Um, before I get into, uh, before I get into uh, the, the fold, I want to ask you guys, we, I'm heading off to Chicago on July 13th. I'll be doing some broadcasts from there as well. I want to ask all of you who can to support our, our uh, what is it? to support funding our trip to uh, support funding our trip. And here, I just put the link in the system there. And let me put that on the screen right now. How can you support us? Uh, those of you who support us will get a, all of you will become the supporter producers on the reel at the back of every video. And we'll probably do between 30, 50 videos. 30 to 50 videos, and your name will be on the reel for those who support. Everybody who supports your name would be on the reel. Your name would be in the YouTube uh, stuff as well. Your name would be all over the place as far as producing these videos. Those who give $100 or more, they will get an internet searchable page and much more. Those who give $200 or more will get an embroidered Politics and Right t-shirt, as I mean, not t-shirt, but polo, as well as a, uh, a sticker, you know, the the politics and rights sticker and my book, etc. The first 35 people who are the first 20 people who go ahead and give $35 or more, you'll also get an autographed copy of It's Worth It, How to Talk to Your Right-Wing Relative Friends and Neighbor, among uh, as well as you will get a sticker, all that good stuff. So again, support the program however you can. Did I put it on the screen? I didn't put it on the screen. I need to put it on the screen. There it is on the screen. So please support us. Click on that link that I just put in there. I'm going to throw that link in there. I want to thank uh, Bri. Uh, so far, the ones that I look, I think I got two so far, two good donations so far. One from uh, uh, El Señor uh, uh, John John Cotter, and of course, our incomparable El Señor Rodnan. So thank you guys for supporting our trip to uh, Chicago. You will have these things made in your name. Yeah, John Carter gave, you gave a great one too, Michael. You gave a great one. I appreciate all of, but I appreciate all contribution, whether it's a dollar, $5, $10, $20 to make sure that we can make this, um, you know, this trip, you know, I mean, it's already, it's already close to, to when it's going to be. We'll be on Radio Row and I'll be talking to you guys from Chicago. So, um, so thank you so kindly, guys. Thank you, Bridge MCP. I haven't looked at it recently, so I don't know what's there. So, 
thank you so kindly for, for that support. Let me go ahead and click it. I, all I have to do is click on it. What's wrong with me? All I need to do is click on it. Oh, wow. Thank you. Bridge MCP is, is a supporter as well. Thank you so kindly for your support, my peeps. Thank you so kindly for your supports. We're getting there. We're 10% there. We just need to get to uh, 100%. So uh, that will really, really put us on the way and help get this stuff done. All right. Here's what I want to do. This one is a bit longer, but I want you to listen to everything. I get to hyperventilate on this. I did this last night. Uh, I, I wanted to make sure and get it covered here today. So here is our last video of the day. Stay positive, folks. I want to show you the intransigence of the Republican Party, specifically the House, when it comes to negotiating for this debt ceiling debate. The truth of the matter is, as I've said several times before, Democrats should not negotiate. They should just go ahead and invoke the 14th Amendment and let the Supreme Court attempt to overturn it and crash the economy. It would then prove that Republican intransigence and the, that they've chosen to put politicized judges that don't read the Constitution literally, in this case, would have caused whatever damage has occurred. But let's let's go ahead and listen to Jody Arrington, who is the chair of the Budget Committee. I mean, it's amazing how with a nice and calm voice, sounding as if he's reasonable, how evil he is. And I'm going to explain that because as he speaks, one would just think this is just simple negotiation. But no, this is this is the instantiation of evil covered with a facade of platitudes. I want you to listen to this and then we'll take it on the other side. The president said he's willing to cut spending by more than a trillion dollars. He said that this morning, but he also wants Republicans to consider raising revenue. That has been a non-starter for Republicans, but will you reconsider? No, because um, you couldn't get uh, tax uh, policies and tax revenues uh, in the Senate bill. We certainly weren't going to put it in the House bill. So, number one, it's not on the table for discussion. Number two, taxes right now would only be passed on to consumers in higher prices. So we would exacerbate inflation. And uh, our, our economy is growing now at just 1.1% GDP. That's down over the last three quarters. We're heading into recession, the last thing we want to do is add another tax. The president and Democrats passed out of the IRA, the Inflation Reduction Act, taxes on businesses, taxes on energy, taxes on investment. This is not the time to put a tax on our economy or on working families. Uh, the president, again, needs to deal with the proposal that passed the House. And uh, our country is spending at wartime levels, Martha, almost 25 percent uh, uh, relative to GDP. We haven't spent that much since we invaded Normandy. I think the American people understand that the cost of living crisis that they're suffering with is as a result of spending, not because we have low taxes. The fact is we had record taxes going into COVID and we had another record uh, tax revenue year in 2021. Uh, the White House sources familiar with the negotiations are telling our Rachel Scott the latest proposal 
proposal would keep non-defense and defense discretionary spending flat from 2023 to 2024, and the Republicans want to increase defense spending. That's despite $45 billion more than President Biden had uh, proposed last time. Well, let's give some context to the discretionary budget. Our federal government is 40% bigger today than it was going into COVID. Secondly, the, the president was the lead negotiator in 2011 for a 10-year spending cap deal. And uh, he was doing that in the context of a debt ceiling negotiation. So this is an unprecedented. And even the president's own budget, if you look at his 10-year budget resolution, proposal that he introduced about a month ago. He has $2.7 trillion in discretionary uh, cuts. If you annualize that, that's over $200 billion a year. We're talking about going back to $130 billion. That's what we were spending as a nation discretionary uh, just six months ago. So th this is more than reasonable, um, but we have to get back to pre-COVID, pre-inflationary spending. We've got to right size and rein in this bureaucratic bloat that we've pulled out of COVID and, and we've got to deal with that legacy and efficiency. I want you to notice something. Remember what this budget wants to do. This budget wants to cut discretionary spending, spending for SNAP, spending for childcare, spending for a whole lot of stuff, veterans affairs, etc. because that's the only place the cuts that they want can actually come from, given that what they want to do is not cut things like defense, et cetera. So when, when asked about the, the taxes, what's his answer? That wouldn't pass the Senate. So we didn't even think about putting it into the House, uh, the house, uh, the house bill that we passed. But worse, he simply said outright, that is not on the table. In other words, having the wealthy who have gouged the, the, the American people, put back some of the money that they stole legally from the American people, he's saying, that's not on the table. So we'll just starve the children. We'll just make sure that you have to get less than SNAP. We'll just make sure that even as those people who got PPP, et cetera, didn't have to do any superb type of qualifications, we want those, those few people who are on food stamps who make very little to prove that you are having to go to work, even though they, 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 they have some of these programs that already have work requirements on it, but they want to make it even more stringent. We got to hurt the, the poor because we know that the poor are always trying to get over on the rich. Really? Come on, folks. It's time for us to wake up now. So, I mean, he claimed the inflation the, the, the spending is what we need to cut. It's spending that caused inflation, spending that caused these issues. He forgot to tell you all the tax cuts that they have given to the wealthy folks. That is money that wasn't recirculated into the economy. If we really wanted to help the economy, we put those monies into the hands of people who create demand and that demand created, uh, create a forces factories to open, et cetera. It's a, it's, a long, it's a long macroeconomic argument to make there. But the, the, the thing that he says, what he is implying is that unlike what Katie Porter has shown mathematically, that inflation wasn't caused 
mostly by supply chain uh, problems. Inflation wasn't caused mostly by shortages of labor, et cetera, even though we do have shortages of labor, which could be mitigated by letting more people into the country. But inflation was caused simply by corporate greed, and the numbers are there to show it. Unfortunately, as we are having these debates on TV, when this person says, we are not going to increase, uh, uh, that, that Biden has increased in inflation and that somehow uh, they're spending too much, that the mainstream media doesn't say, for 40 years, we have underpaid Americans and we are now paying through governmental services for what the private sector refused to do, pay a living wage as they manipulated and kept the profits. We don't have the main media, the main, when, when the mainstream media interview these charlatans, we don't have them come out and tell the American people the truth. So a soft-spoken Jody Arrington chair of the budget committee seems to be reasonable because he talks calmly and he talks as if Biden is doing something wrong. And as opposed to coming back to say, you evil being, you're trying to starve and take Similac out of the mouths of kids. You're trying to take food out of the mouths of kids just to, to give those rich people a delta increase in their richness. That is evil. Can we not see it? That is that goes beyond income and wealth inequality. That actually borders on evil as you're taking food out of the mouths of people after the wealthy has had record profits, record earnings on our backs. They didn't create those earnings. They didn't create those profits. We did. When we paid inflated prices for gasoline, when we paid inflated prices for, for eggs and everything else, that didn't go to the egg, man, the, egg the, 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 the form that laid the eggs. That didn't go to the meat factory. That didn't go to all these other low-line workers in these companies. It all went to the profits of corporate beings and those who benefit from said profits. Now, Asked about defense budget. He said, you guys, we're talking about austerity here, cutting back. This is what Martha Raddatz tells him. We're talking about cutting back. How comes you want $45 billion more on defense than it's being requested by Biden? You want Biden to cut the food out of the mouth of kids. You want Biden to cut the veterans, but you want to inflate the defense budget even more. But wait a minute, didn't we just see a 60-minute article that talks about how the defense industrial complex are overcharging all of us a $300 part for $10,000, signing a contract to build an airplane and we can't build the parts ourselves, we must go back to the company because even as we paid for the research to build the airplane, to build all these things, we still have the patents, but we can't control the internals of building the parts. People, the evil behind this budgetary process, they're holding up that, that we have, have allowed Republicans to hold us hostage is our doing because we put them there. We may have to make a deal here since uh, Biden is scared to use the 14th Amendment. He'll only use it at last resort. 
right? So let's assume he's not going to use it. But I want to warn you of something. Democrats had the lame duck session where they could have passed this. Bernie Sanders and many others begged them. We knew this was going to happen. We knew that these clowns, these charlatanes would have held us hostage. We knew it. We knew they would have held the economy hostage because they don't care. They don't care that if this, if they crash the economy, that it's the people that are going to suffer the most are the people who vote for them, that they've lied to continuously over and over again. But Democrats dropped the ball. They could have, in the lame duck session of the last year, simply passed the bill. They simply had to say debt ceiling increase and, it, and sent it to the Senate. And when the Senate said we're not going to go with 63 votes, we get the 60 votes. They just say, OK, for this particular bill, we're going to kill the filibuster, pass the debt ceiling. It's too important for the country. But again, it's like many times, you know, one would like to say Democrats don't learn. It's not that they don't learn. It's not that they're cowards. Also, the leadership. It's that they are a part of the cabal. They are part of the game where the lower classes pay for it all. The middle class pay for it all because they don't want themselves. I'm talking about a particular sect in the Democratic Party as well. They don't want the masses to get too much, too much power either because they feel that given that they're serving the same masters just with a, a, a little bit indifference in values. Nah, we can't allow them to get too strong. Folks, this debt ceiling debate should not have been. It is because of the, not the timidity, because of the willful timidity of the Democratic leadership back in 2022. Now we're paying the price with the stresses that many are under. It's going to get, look, they're going to work out something. But as usual, you know who will pay the price. The poor and the middle class, always sacrificed by all. We Absolutely so, folks. Absolutely so. Here, uh, uh, we got to get out of here. But beforehand, I want to tell you, you can support our politics done right. The general support link for all the forms in which you can support us is at politicsdoneright.com slash support. Please find a way to support us however you can on that link. However, for our trip to Chicago, where we're on Radio Row at Netroots, a coveted position, we're one of the few, the few broadcasters allowed on this, the Radio Row, where we, in our case, it's more than Radio Row because we do videos and everything else. So I ask you so kindly to do provide whatever support you are able to do to ensure that we can go over there and you know do a, do a good job. And how can you do that? Just support us by going to this link that I just put in there and I go to our funding for this particular trip. Uh, that uh, it's a long link, so I can't point it out there, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna create a short link for this particular contribution. Please click on that link below if you have the wherewithal too that I've just put in all of the areas, both in YouTube, Twitch, and Facebook, and support our trip to where again? Our trip to Chicago to be on Radio Row at Netroots Nation 2023, where we are discussing 
interviewing uh, what's the best way for progressives to win 2024. Uh, our, we are going to place our stamp there. We are going to be there. Please support however you can. My name is Catch you tomorrow to Rudnan Bridge and everybody else that we have are great people. Welcome aboard, uh, Maggie Bannon Berkowitz. Great to see you here. I what else have we had? Bridge says thanks, Egberto. Good show, good debates. Thanks all, and you brats too. Uh, let's see what else we have. Anyway, we got to get out of here. My name is Egberto Willis. This is Politics Done Right, and you guys know how I am going to end this, baby. I am what? We spend a lot of time deconstructing the news, trying to trying to parse it into a form that everybody can understand. We try to find those little nitpicks where uh, it goes, it flies above the fray, etc. If you really like these videos that we do, I want to ask a big favor. Please go ahead, number one, subscribe to our channel, and number two, please join if you can. Thank you so kindly for watching. Keep watching. Please remember to share. We must populate the entire internet with our progressive message, a message that we know is what most Americans say that they want. So help us please join.